Let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. It is the heart of a person, what we love, that drives us to do what we do. And so it should not surprise us then that Jesus is quite concerned about the condition of our interior lives. Because if the object of our affections is not what it should be, that will affect every single aspect of our life. We have seen this play out somewhat in our time in First and Second Samuel. We have seen God's constant concern that he have a king and a people whose heart reflects the love that he has. David has sought the Lord. He has served him not perfectly, but faithfully. And after years of hardship and suffering, he has finally received what was promised to him by his heavenly father. He is made king over Israel. And he has conquered the city of Jerusalem. In response to this momentous occasion, a celebration has broken out. David and his men are carrying the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And it is quite the party. As I spoke about a couple weeks ago, we can encounter scriptures sometimes that leave us unsure about what they teach about God, what they mean, where we read it and we kind of walk away thinking, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with that. Well, today's passage in 2 Samuel 6 is definitely one of those for many people because of what happened in the midst of this celebration, how joy quickly turned to tragedy and anger and fear. But as we dive into this text, we, we find that what appears to be a, a harsh and difficult account is really yet another example of how living in the light of God's holiness and grace brings us to joyfully worship as our hearts are fixed upon him, as we begin to love rightly. Our passage begins with David and his men transporting the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and it is quite the party. I'm sure many of us can think of, of being at parties in the past, and it, it's a great time, right? Everybody's laughing and mingling and joking, you know, back when we were allowed to do that sort of thing together, thinking of better times. But then, of course, that guy shows up. 
And that guy does what that guy does. And the party's over. He's ruined the whole thing for everybody. Well, we've got something like that in this passage, don't we? The people are celebrating the Lord. They're they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. They're having a great time. And then all of the sudden, that guy shows up. Beginning in verse 6, we read, And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put his hand to the Ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. That escalated pretty quick, didn't it? Just went from a party to a man laying dead. What are we supposed to do with that? We could easily read this and think, how is this an appropriate response? After all, people were praising the Lord. And Uzzah is simply trying to be helpful. He doesn't want the ark to fall and potentially be damaged. So what gives here, Lord? Why why this? David himself had this sort of reaction. He's angry at the Lord for what has happened. Well, if we're going to understand this, we need to do a little bit of work. First, the ark of the covenant. In truth, we could spend many hours talking about how important the Ark is. And so we are just going to do a brief, we could say 50,000 foot view here. The Ark symbolized the presence of God with his people. Not that he dwelt within the Ark, but that this was the place, as Exodus 25 tells us, where he would manifest his presence to speak with and meet with his people. Now, the challenge with that is, when one comes into the presence of God, it means coming into the presence of perfect holiness. Of holiness so pure that God had warned Moses that even seeing it would end us. Never mind coming into contact with it. Now, because of this, the Lord had given very specific instructions on how the ark was to be moved. It was to be covered with a veil and carried with long poles attached to rings that were on the corners of it. All so that no human would touch it. Numbers 4.15 says, And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, as the camp sets out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these. But they must not touch the holy things lest they die all because of the perfect holiness of God and human sinfulness. We cannot come near to that, not under our own strength. And so now we turn back to 2 Samuel 6. Having that background, we read about the ark that was placed on a new cart, which was pulled by oxen. Did you hear anything about a cart or an ox in what I just described? No. That is not how the ark is meant to be carried. It should have been carried by four men using the poles. In fact, the only other time we hear about the ark being moved on a cart 
is when the Philistines captured it back in 1 Samuel 5. Now, to top all that off, Uzzah is the son of Abinadab, the priest. He, of all people, should have known the proper way to transport the ark and the danger of touching it. Uzzah, who should have known how the ark is to be moved, does not follow any of the instructions the Lord has given. But instead, he treats the ark of God, the place of God's presence, in the same way as the pagan Philistines did. In this moment, he is treating God in the same way as someone who does not believe in him. This situation and its consequences are born out of Uzzah's willful negligence. It is born out of his sinful presumption. He presumed upon the Lord that he could carry the ark in the easiest rather than the right way. Well, doesn't that sound familiar for people? He presumed that since his intention was helpful, or was meant to be helpful, that it would be approved. He thought that he could come into direct contact with the presence of God under his own strength, but his heart's presumption brings disaster upon him. He took his relationship with the Lord for granted. As did David. Uzzah is not the only one at fault here. David is the king. He would have known how to properly move the ark, and he could have stepped in to correct it, but he didn't. One of the roles of the king, as we have mentioned many times in this series, is to point people back to God, to help them live according to God's holiness. And in this moment, David has completely failed. And so this tragic fate is just as much his fault. And it's all about taking the Lord and his holiness for granted. What a word that is for the church of our time. Really the church of any time. Because it is human nature to presume upon the Lord. Even when we have a relationship with the Lord, we tend to presume upon him, don't we? We ignore the sins within our own hearts or within our church because, well, I'm not as bad as all them people out there. At least I've got Jesus in my heart. But good and evil come out of the heart. And so if we are ignoring the Lord's holiness, if we are ignoring his standard, then what does that say about our hearts? What does that say about whom or what we truly love? What does that say about our faith? Presuming upon our relationship with God, brushing aside the holiness of God in the face of sin is the same sinful action that Uzzah and David have committed here, and it will always end in disaster. Every time. Now, if that was the final word of this passage, we would all be leaving here today feeling pretty terrible about ourselves, 
perhaps being captured by despair. After all, what hope can we have in the presence of a holy God? That's actually a very good question to ask. It's funny how I keep putting in really good questions to ask, isn't it? In fact, this is David's initial reaction. He's angry at God, and then he's afraid of God, and so he pushes God away. Does that sound familiar? Verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he says, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. How often is this our reaction when we experience or we even think about the holiness of God? We want to push him away. And it actually makes perfect sense because when light shines on darkness, darkness retreats. But the holiness of God is only one part of this passage. We also see the remarkable grace of God. Holiness and grace, they are both here in this passage because the Lord's here in this passage. These are not two competing and conflicting ideals. They are both intrinsic to who God is. They are of equal value and equal importance. And we need to realize that. Because we tend to focus on one at the expense of the other. And when we focus on the holiness of God alone, that leads to despair or a a, a sort of harsh edge with ourselves and with others because we don't measure up. As a friend of mine once said, perfectionism isn't about being perfect. It's about never being good enough. And that's where we'll be left if all we ever think about is, is the holiness of God because we will never get there. On the other hand, if we focus on grace alone, we will begin to presume upon our relationship with the Lord and act like sin doesn't matter at all because after all, there's grace for that. These two things must go hand in hand. We can't measure up to the holiness of God, but rather than leaving us to our despair, he acts in his grace to bring his presence among us and to bless us. And we see that when the ark, the presence of God among his people, is taken to Obed-Edom's house. We're told the ark remained in his home for three months, and that he and all of his household were blessed. And we do well to note here what we're not told. We're not told that Obed-Edom was blessed with riches beyond his imagining, or that his crops grew like crazy. We're simply told that the presence of God came into his house and he was blessed. We are not told that he ran from the presence of God, like David. Nor that he presumed himself to be worthy of the ark. Simply that he received the presence of God and was blessed. God's presence with his people is the blessing. When God comes among his people and his people receive him without presumption, that is the blessing. The holiness of God demands that he be worshipped and treated rightly. The grace of God allows for that to happen as people receive him. 
Holiness demands that sin be dealt with. Grace demands that God make the way for us. Holiness required that someone die for sin. And grace required that it be Jesus Christ. The holy presence of God came among Obed-Edom and he was blessed in receiving him. The holy presence of God came in the person of Jesus Christ and we are blessed and redeemed in receiving him. And it is in seeing the grace of God that provides the corrective for David. He's told that Obed-Edom has been blessed because of the ark. And David, in this moment, responds rightly. He brings the ark to Jerusalem so that the presence of God could be in the midst of his people, that, that the people of God might know the blessing of God's presence. And to make it even better, this time, they did it the right way. Verse 13 mentions those who bore the ark. No cart, no ox. They're doing it the right way. God's not being taken for granted this time, but is treated as his holiness demanded and also that the grace of God, the blessing of God could be poured out. That is the result of a heart being rightly aligned, convicted by holiness, and captured by grace. David's heart is being rightly aligned. And you know what that leads to? Joyful worship. The party starts all over again. David, this time wearing priestly robes, he's dancing like crazy before the Lord. He's praising him with all that he has. It's a beautiful scene. The people of God worshiping God is a beautiful thing to behold in that day, in any day. The people of Jesus worshiping him is a beautiful thing. Whether you're the world's greatest singer or you couldn't carry a tune if they strapped it to your back. I'm in the latter category. It's okay. Just to be clear here, the point here is not about a particular worship style as I've I've actually seen some people argue. This is not saying that if you really love Jesus, you're going to be dancing around and, and jumping around in worship. That can't be it, because same sort of party was going on when Uzzah was around, and look at how that ended. It's about the heart. It's about your heart in worship. It's about having a clear-eyed view of who our God is. That in his holiness we are not worthy to stand, but in his graciousness he came in Jesus Christ to purchase a people for himself. And so we praise him, for he is worthy of it. Sometimes that's going to be arms raised and loud voices. Sometimes it's going to be falling to your knees in absolute adoration or sitting in complete contemplative peace at his wonder and his majesty. It's about the heart. And that is what Michael, Saul's daughter and David's wife, doesn't understand. She thought David's behavior was undignified. It was beneath him. A king should never dance around in front of anyone, let alone the servants and the servants of the servants. 
She thinks this because her heart is fixed on decorum and station. Her concern is with how she and her husband will be perceived. They needed to be doing things the right way, the the proper way. But David corrects her, somewhat harshly, to be honest. He needles her a little bit because he knows that it's not about what Michael thinks it's about. It's not about him. It's not about looking right. He says it was before the Lord. And here's the little needle. Who chose me above your father and above all his house. To appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. Why? Because he loves rightly. He knows what's, what matters. He, his heart is being properly aligned. He's being sanctified so that his heart is fixed upon the Lord, and it is worshiping God that matters above all other things. whether that means his standing increasing or decreasing. It's the heart of John the Baptist when he said of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. That is what having a clear-eyed view of Jesus will do. It's why having our eyes fixed upon Jesus changes our hearts. We will joyfully proclaim that he must be exalted, for he is gracious and holy. He is perfect and loving. We humbly receive the Lord and we praise him that we are even able to do so. Because without him, we're Michael. Yes, it will look like foolishness sometimes in the eyes of those who have not received the grace of Jesus Christ. Michael and those like her will never understand why we would allow ourselves to be diminished. Because it's all about us, isn't it? I mean, gosh, that's even what we've turned much of our worship into. It's what I want, the songs I want. If the songs don't make me feel a certain way or the liturgy doesn't make me feel a certain way, well, it's not about us. about Jesus. And it's why in our worship us being diminished isn't isn't a problem. It's exactly what needs to happen so that he might be exalted. And the amazing thing is as he is exalted he makes our hearts right and he makes us more who we were created to be for we were created to worship him. It's why our worship done rightly, start to finish, every part is meant to glorify Jesus and him alone. In our context, the liturgy, the music, the sermon, communion, all of it is meant to point to him, not the person doing it. We don't walk out here thinking, wow, that priest really knows how to lead a liturgy. meant to point to Jesus. 
All of it is to lift him high and to proclaim him. It's what Michael didn't get. It's what David finally got as his heart was rightly aligned. It's where that first party went off the rails. It's a little bit of a different perspective on Uzzah and the ark now, isn't it? It's a better one than where our assumptions take us, though. Because the truth is, God is full of grace and truth. Because he is holy, our sin matters, and we must not presume upon him. But he is gracious. He allows us to repent and to receive him with humble hearts, that we might be brought into his presence and praise his name forever. The people of God joining together in worship. It is a beautiful thing to behold. As we pray to our Lord that he is worthy to receive all honor and praise and glory, that worthy is the Lamb who was slain to be glorified for all time, for he is our God. He is among us. May the name of Jesus ever be on the lips and hearts of the people of God as we live in this world, as we gather together in worship, that Jesus might be praised and proclaimed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us the gift of worship, that you are worthy of all worship, and it is good and right to do so. Father, I pray that you would give each of us hearts of worship, that we would, we would see in your holiness the, the, the perfect image of who you are, and that being convicted of our own sinfulness, we would not run from you, but that we would receive of your grace that you have poured out in Jesus Christ, that you might fix our hearts upon you, removing all those things that we have loved more than you. Father, make our worship and our lives all about Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.